listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. So that's a great story, right? Just imagine if you've never seen color and then kind of through modern technology, for the first time in your life, you got to see it. It's really, really amazing. Today, we're going to continue our series, Nothing But the Truth, and we're going to be looking at a couple of men from John's Gospel, both who experienced something that uh, they hadn't experienced before. Uh, In John chapter 5, there's a man who's been paralyzed for 38 years. And then in John chapter 9, there's a man who was born blind. And the man who was born blind received his sight. And the man who had been paralyzed for 38 years uh, receives the ability to walk. So we're going to start with the man who's by the sheep gate, the man who's been paralyzed. Jesus, uh, the gospel tells us, comes there. And he tells us that he's at this pool. Um, This is an interesting passage of scripture in John chapter 5. If you're reading from your NIV or your NLT or your ESV or your NRSV, lots of translations out there, <clears throat> it's going to go from uh, verse 3 to verse 5. It's going to kind of leave out uh, chapter, uh, verse 4. But if you're reading from your New American Standard or your KJV, it's going to have an additional verse in there, which is in of itself already something pretty interesting. So the question might come, well, was it originally there and those translations decided to leave it out? Or was it originally not there and some other translations kind of decided to add it in? It's an interesting passage of scripture, verse 4. And even if you're reading from your NIV or NLT or ESV or those others that, that don't have it in the text itself, you'll find it like in a footnote. It'll, it'll say, well, here's, here's the verse that you're missing, you know, when you went from three to five. And it says this. It says that an angel came down and troubled the water, and the first person to kind of get into the water would receive, would receive a healing. So if that verse wasn't originally there, then would that somehow change the story? Well, I don't think significantly. I think one way or the other, you have this man, and he's paralyzed, He can't get down in the water fast enough, he says. And so when Jesus comes to him and asks him the question, do you want to be made whole? The man kind of misunderstands him, I think. He he seems to think that Jesus is offering to kind of help him get into the water really fast. So this particular pool was known for a place of healing and had been such for centuries So, like, the Romans, and before the Romans, the Greeks, had kind of recognized this place as a place for the sick to come and to feel better. So, perhaps, it's one of those kind of natural springs, kind of hot water that kind of bubbles up. And you can imagine someone who uh, is paralyzed, and how nice it would feel if they could get down into the water when it was bubbling, when it was troubled. And here's a guy who's kind of in a condition he can't quite get down there by himself. And by the time he does pull himself down there, you know, the the pool is full, right? He can't get himself in. And so Jesus, he mistakes Jesus for someone who's just a nice guy who's like, hey, 
I'll sit with you here for a while, and the next time the water's troubled, I'll, I'll chuck you in, you know? I'll make sure you get in, right, before the crowds. But Jesus is not offering to just throw him in the water. Jesus is offering to make him whole. And it's interesting because John has language for healing, but the language for healing is not used here. He says, do you want to be made whole? Not just do you want to be healed? Because I think the man is suffering from something more than just physical paralysis. I think he's also suffering from some mental and spiritual paralysis. Because Jesus heals this man, and then he says, all right, well, pick up your mat and go. And he does. And just south of the pool, uh, he walks onto the Temple Mount, and he's got his mat, and somebody calls him down and says, hey, what do you think you're doing carrying your mat through the temple here? It's, it's the Sabbath. Put that thing down, you sinner. And so the guy, he's like, oh, I'm sorry. And they said, well, he said, uh, <laughs> this is great. He says, the man who made me whole, he told me to carry the mat. <laughs> right? He kind of chucks Jesus under the bus there. Like, what are you doing breaking the Sabbath law? And he's like, hey, it's not, hey, don't talk to me. Talk to that guy who, who made me well. And they said, well, who was it? And he's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know who it was. I think sometimes we imagine that because in our world, if someone's famous, we would all recognize them when we saw them. But in the ancient world, you know, Jesus might have been started to get, you know, people would start... Uh, to be able to recognize him enough in Galilee. But if, he, if he's come to the big city down in Jerusalem, it's not like you know, he was glowing in the dark. It wasn't like he was floating around. right? <clears throat> this guy didn't know who had made him well. Right? For all he knew, the guy was just offering to throw him in the pool. And this was much more than what he could have expected. He says, I don't know. So then it says later that Jesus was at the temple... And the, and the man who's been healed, who's been made whole, sees Jesus and says, there he is. <laughs> That's the guy who told me, told me to carry my mat. Now, he could have said, That's the guy who made me well. <laughs> right? So Jesus says to him, Hey, buddy, stop sinning, lest something worse happen to you. So I'm not exactly sure what's worse than being paralyzed for 38 years waiting to kind of get into a pool. Um, <clears throat> but I think something might be going on with the numbers there. Because the Hebrews had wandered in the wilderness for 38 years. You know, they, they had sent in the spies, and we know Joshua and Caleb came back and said, hey, we can do it. And everybody else came back and said, man, they're like giants, and we're like grasshoppers. Like, there's no way we can take this land. And so for 38 years, the Hebrews had wandered in the wilderness. And here it says this man has been paralyzed for 38 years. And then Jesus says, something worse will come upon you. Well, we could all imagine and throw out various conjectures as we, what we might think would be worse than being paralyzed for 38 years. But I think given where he was and how long he's been sick and what people group he's from and how long they wandered, I think there is something that we might also have the potential to suffer from, and it's a form of paralysis. 
It might not be physical paralysis, it might be emotional paralysis or kind of social or spiritual paralysis that we find ourselves kind of stuck in the lives that we find ourselves living and we feel like there is no way out. We feel like that um, I have no other options. But then Jesus comes and he gives us life and he gives us mobility. The Spirit comes and it animates us in ways that we otherwise would not have been animated. And there is a life that's being given in Christ that is full and that is mobile and that prevents us from being just kind of held captive to the lives that we otherwise would live. If we fast forward in the story, <clears throat> this is the first kind of sick person in John's Gospel. We get to chapter 9, and there's this man who had been born blind. And so the disciples say, well, who has sinned, this man or his parents? Which is an interesting question to ask, I think. Like, somebody's sick, why do you assume that they've sinned? Well, the only other sick person in the gospel had been the paralyzed man, and Jesus had told him to stop sinning. And so it makes sense, in a way, that the disciples might have associated sickness with sin. But here Jesus says, well, no one sinned. This man didn't sin. His parents didn't sin. There's no way in which sin is connected with this man's blindness. But rather, this man's blind, and now God's going to do something. And so it says, pretty odd story here. It says that Jesus spit into the dirt. And apparently he had a lot of spit. But he spits into the dirt and he makes some mud. And then he puts the mud on the blind man's eyes and says, now I want you to go down to this pool and wash off. So he does so. And as he's washing the mud off, he's realizing that now he can see. And so he's coming back and he's like, I can see. And so people are starting to ask, isn't this that beggar? Like, isn't this the man that had been blind? And he's like, I am the man. And others are like, no, I don't think so. <clears throat> like, that's impossible. He, must, he looks like the man. But this can't be the man that was blind. And he's, no, no, it's me, it's me. Look. And then his parents come. And they're amazed. Of course, his parents know him, but they're amazed that he can see because the man hadn't been able to see since birth. And then I guess the, the Pharisees have heard about it. And so the man gets called in. And now he's being interrogated by the religious leaders. And they're like, um, because this occasion, Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he's like, look, to do work on the Sabbath, that guy was making mud, putting it on you. Like, that's sinful. Who is this guy? And he's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> that's interesting. Again, he still doesn't know. Uh, what's happened. We'll talk, we'll talk more about not knowing in a minute here. He says, I don't know, but I know this. I was blind, and now I see. I know that. And they're like, well, uh, this doesn't make any sense to us because this is breaking the law, and there's no way that God would work through someone 
who was breaking the law. Like, it can't be the work of God because it happened on the Sabbath and that's not keeping the Sabbath. And we know the law, right? We know God, we know God's law, we know how these things work, and this is not that. And so they call the man's parents in and they say, is this the man who was blind? They, 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 yes, this is our son. He was blind. He can now see. And they want to kind of interrogate them about the process of the healing. Like what has taken place? It was on the Sabbath. You know that must be wrong. And they kind of say, look, he's an adult. Right? The scripture says he is a man of age. <laughs> Ask him. And it says they wanted the, the leadership the Pharisees, to ask the son because they were afraid of them. They were afraid of what they might do or say to them. And so they call in the man, the man who was born blind. They call him in a second time and they start to ask him the same questions. And he said, now, this is the second time I've been up here. I've told you the truth already. So what do you want me to do? Just repeat myself? You think if I repeat myself, now you'll understand where you haven't understood the first time? And they, and they lay down, again, the law, and they say, look, it cannot happen this way. One who follows the law, that one God will use. This guy has done this on the Sabbath, that's unlawful, therefore this cannot be of God. <clears throat> and so the man just asked the question. He says, when's the last time you heard of a blind man seeing? When have you heard of someone who was born blind and then someone did something for them and they now see? And you tell me whether or not that's right or wrong. And then it enters into a very kind of interesting the last few sentences, this is in John chapter 9, and the last few sentences enter into a discussion that actually have less to do with seeing uh, physically, and they have more to do with seeing spiritually. And it's at this point that I think these two stories start to come together for me. That if someone is sick, then we should pray for them. We should pray that God would heal them. But then we should also be aware that there's ways in which these stories speak of another reality that might be even more um, uh, deeper, might be more uh, applicable to the whole, right, to the group. And that is, like the man who was paralyzed, there's also a way in which we all are experiencing this kind of form of paralysis. I mean, personally, I struggle with this. The more I have to do, the more I binge watch on TV. <laughs> like, I know that's unhealthy, right? But I get overwhelmed by a busy schedule, and I feel like, oh, I can't do those things. Or I get overwhelmed. There's, there's too many people to pray for. There's too many people to visit. There's, there's just too much, God. And I kind, of, I kind of, instead of stepping up, I kind of step back because I'm already uh, confused or misinformed that somehow the work of God is dependent upon me, which it's not. 
the man who had been paralyzed, <clears throat> it, doesn't, it doesn't say have faith. It doesn't say kind of do anything. Jesus just says, get up and walk. And so the guy got up and walked. And sometimes I feel like I just need to hear the voice of Christ saying to me, get up and walk. And that that will alleviate my paralysis. And much the same way than with the blind man. That I can see, and I can see in color, thank God. But then there's often things I think I fail to see. Like, I, I don't see the hand of God working in my life until things are kind of done. Like, I look back and think, oh yeah, God was active. But I, I didn't have eyes to appreciate the presence of that when it was happening. That is, that I have physical sight, but I suffer from spiritual blindness. And I think that's exactly what we have uh, happening in John chapter 9. The man who was born blind can now see. And all those people who were born with sight were failing to see the work of God that was in their very midst. And part of the reason that they were failing to see it is because it didn't fit the religious paradigm that they thought God must work in. It is our religion sometimes that can blind us from the very presence of God. And that, my friends, is a, is a scary thought. That sometimes we need God to come and like put mud on our eyes. Tell us to go wash so that we might see the work of God that's ha happening deeply there. I want to tell a story it's a story that I think a lot of you might know. It's certainly familiar to us uh, because this man uh, penned a very famous song. Uh, but his name is John Newton. And uh, Carol's going to join me. And we're going to tell you a bit of the story. Listen carefully now as we share the story of John Newton. His is a story of awakening, a story of radical grace, a story of a blind man seeing the light. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Grace was a concept that John Newton, the writer of the great hymn Amazing Grace, came to understand very well, although it took him years to fully grasp how amazing God's grace can really be. It's true that the man that wrote this anthem was a clergyman, an abolitionist, but it was his early life as a slave trader and slave ship master that gave him a unique perspective as he penned the words that, that saved, saved a wretch like me. Newton was indeed a wretch in every sense of the word. In the years that he worked transporting slaves from Africa, his anger, greed, and resentment showed in his treatment of both the African captives and the members of his crew. And although he mocked the faith of others, a near-death experience caused him to cry out to God for mercy. He was rescued, and he took the experience as a sign from the Almighty. But still, he continued his transport of slaves. I once was lost. A few years later, a stroke prevented Newton from returning to sea. He began studying the scriptures and soon felt a calling into the ministry. 
It was during this time that he wrote the words to the hymn, Amazing Grace. Newton's contribution to slavery began to weigh heavily on his mind, and he was moved to speak out against the very thing from which he had once profited and from which he had been delivered. Now, now I'm found, was blind, blind but, but now I see. In an essay, Newton once said, I hope it will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. Years later, when Newton was nearly blind and near death, the act to abolish the slave trade finally became law. His life had come full circle. Amazing grace describes the joy and peace of a soul uplifted from despair to salvation and of one whose spiritual eyes are finally opened through the gift of God's amazing grace. Can we sing that together? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.